This is Birth Confidential with TJ. Thanks for checking out Birth Confidential. I hope you've liked it so far. Last week, I put out part one of my birth story with my husband, Ricky. We talked about how we met and our surprise baby. (laughs) She just turned four last week and she's perfect. In this episode, it picks up with my husband talking about after he left our daughter in the NICU, he came in to see me and I did not look well. And this is where my health started declining and the whole ish show for the next 10 days began. And if you've got a story that you want to share with me, please email me at tj at ks95.com or you can find me on Instagram at TJ Radio. Please five star, review it, and share with your friends too. <laughs> I didn't know that things were getting as bad as they were. I honestly, like, after I had her, I felt, like, euphoric. I felt like I was high. I felt literally the highest I've ever felt in my entire life. I was, like, giggly and happy, and I felt, like, literally euphoric. Am I saying that right? Yeah. And so I didn't even notice that the doctor was panicking, but... I remember her being like, I can't get the bleeding to stop. I remember her saying that. And um, I just remember feeling her energy a little bit of panic. When she did finish whatever she was doing, in my mind, I feel like I stood up and and I was like, I don't feel well and started to fall. That's how I remember it, which is really weird because I had an epidural. So obviously I couldn't stand. So I don't really know how it happened. I just remember being like... I remember you saying you were pretty dizzy. I just remember looking at someone and saying, I don't feel well. And then getting really lightheaded. They're like, well, we're going to keep you in this room tonight. Instead of moving us to the recovery room, they kept us in the room that we were in. Because it was already 4 or 5 in the morning by the time this had happened. And they left the baby in the NICU. And there was no, like, real emergency at that point. No. Um, Then by the time we get to the recovery room, they did some blood work, and they're like, "Um, your blood hemoglobin levels are at a 7, and at a 7, you need a blood transfusion. So they told us I needed a blood transfusion. So I got a blood transfusion, but they kept testing my blood, and my blood hemoglobin wasn't rising. After a transfusion, I should be getting up to 11, 12, whatever. But it wasn't. It was staying at 7. So they thought I was, like, bleeding internally somewhere. So in order to get a CT scan, they have to check your kidneys. And checking my kidneys, they saw that my kidneys were failing. So in order to do a CT scan with dye to find out if I was bleeding internally, they couldn't do that. So the doctors weren't sure what to do because they didn't know why my kidneys were failing. They didn't know where the bleeding was coming from because at that point they had given me three bags of blood and they couldn't give me any more. So they knew I was bleeding somewhere, but they didn't know where. So they gave me a CT scan without dye, and they found that I had a blood clot in my ovarian vein, and it was protruding into the vena cava, which is the, and I might be saying this wrong because I'm obviously not a doctor, but the way I remember it is that it was like the main vein or artery that goes directly to your heart. And so it was protruding in there. If it were to break off, then it would go directly to my heart, and I would die instantly. And that point zero 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 one percent of women get this complication after birth and i was like cool <laughs> the next part is the probably only part where i ever really got legitimately mad at a healthcare professional 
during this process because we were sitting in there after the CT scan and he came in. He was very concerned. He did his job. He did it well. It was really just the way he worded things. He came in, sat down. He was like, you are on a tightrope between life and death. And there's got to be a better way to word that. (laughs) Like, we're sitting in there. We're already really concerned. Like, what's happening? There's complications. It was serious. But there's got to be a better way to present it than tightrope of life and death. I liked his honesty. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's not the bluntness that bothered me, I suppose. It was just... It could have been wordsmithed a little bit better. I felt throughout the whole time, the second I looked concerned or scared or hopeless, like I was supposed to be your support system. So like that terrified me, but I can't be terrified in that moment. So I think that's probably what played into it. Like, dude, how am I supposed to be this not scared support system when you're telling me my wife or soon to be wife could die because... I'm not good on a tightrope, are you? (laughs) Well, did you want him to not tell you the truth? Pull me out. Tell me that. I mean, obviously, I have to hear that as well, too. You know what I mean? Like, he can't just tell you that. And also, the test comes straight to my phone anyway, so I would get him before the doctor, and then I'd Google everything, and it was scary. So they put me in the ICU at that point because, I mean, if the, the way he explained it is if that clot were to break, I would not survive most likely they also released the baby that night and they're like we can't keep her so i didn't want to be without her obviously so she was in the icu with us that night and it was horrific i didn't sleep obviously because they're coming in and checking every 30 minutes and we don't know how to swaddle so she was uncomfortable um i wanted to nurse her but my body was failing and so i couldn't get anything for her and i was just not going to let her scream i couldn't handle her you know, being hungry and trying to nurse her and trying to survive. And, and obviously while all of this is happening, of course, I'm thinking like, oh my God, it's all coming true. My nightmare, the nightmare I've had since I was 12, that I was going to die giving birth. This is what's happening. Like I'm sitting in my bed and I'm bawling and I'm like, oh my God, my husband is going home from the hospital with our brand new baby and a GoFundMe. My biggest fear, everything that I've thought my entire life, it was coming true. So I just wanted her to be fed. We didn't know how to swaddle. Ricky rocked her in the in the rocking chair next to me the entire night, yep. overnight. If I could go back, I probably would have taken your parents up on sending Ambriel home that night. I don't know that I would have let you because I literally no. thought that my time with her was limited. I literally thought that that was yeah, true. the only time I would have had with her. I wouldn't have let you. The only reason I agreed to let her separate from me is because, A, I had to take an ambulance ride to a different hospital because we were at a a smaller town hospital and we needed to go to a bigger hospital that could handle more serious situations. And um, she obviously she couldn't ride in the ambulance. And also there were very sick people on my floor. There were infectious diseases. Three doors down, there was tape and signs on the door that's like caution coming in here infectious like disease yeah like it was just not a safe place for a newborn and um i still kept trying to pump nothing was happening she still came to visit but that first day that we were there i just didn't want her around all those doctors and sick people until we could figure out what was going on and if it was safe for her to be there also for whatever reason i can't i can't recall we were actually supposed to go by helicopter yeah. But for whatever reason, they, the helicopter couldn't be – I don't remember what the reason was. But he was like, yeah, you guys were supposed to go by helicopter, but X, Y, Z. And now that you're safe and healthy, 
that would have made the story pretty cool to say we flew by helicopter. I would have not wanted to be in a helicopter. That would have given me so much anxiety. Yeah, I mean, I'm terrified of heights. I mean, um, the freaking ambulance is a 30-minute ride <laughs> yeah. from the hospital till we went to. A helicopter would have been a little much. I mean, I but I didn't know favorite. how serious. I mean, they had me on heparin, which is a blood thinner. Um, so they were trying to thin out my blood and, and try to get the, you know, keep the clot from getting bigger or breaking off. That's all they knew what to do. So when I got to the other hospital, there was a whole team of doctors waiting for me. One of the doctors comes in and he goes, so you're talking to me? And I was like, yes. He's like, well, the way that they had made it seem is that that we were going to see you comatose. That like I thought that you had a clotting disorder where your whole body just starts clotting and there there's nothing we can do about it. Like all we could do is make you comfortable. Like the way that the hospital I had come from made it sound to the hospital I was going to. The doctor told me that they all thought I was coming in like unresponsive, pretty much dead. Yes. So they were surprised to see me uh, talking. And also we heard them talking about how much water that that they had put in me because they were trying to get my kidneys to work. So they had put in over 22 pounds of water in me, but my body wasn't shedding the water. We overheard them talking we had been at the second hospital for a while, though, and they had still been pumping you. So it was after a certain point at the second hospital. The amount to which your ankles and legs were swollen was insane. And you made some sort of comment to the doctor and is just like a light that bulb. Was, that was nine days later. So yeah. I had been at the hospital for a total of 10 days after I had the baby. And they couldn't figure out what was wrong with my kidneys. One doctor wanted to do a biopsy, but he couldn't because I was on blood thinners. Another doctor was like, we're not doing a biopsy. I was like, you got to have to stop giving me water. Like there's nowhere for this water to go. I was, I was so large, like 30 pounds, filled yeah. with, with water, simply with water because my body wasn't shedding it. So finally they gave me a diuretic, which sheds all the water, gets rid of it. And I honestly think that's what, what helped because once yeah. they gave me that, then all of a sudden my kidneys started functioning again. I was told that it's because, like, I had lost so much blood that my kidneys weren't getting enough blood, and that's why they kind of stopped working. I just lost too much blood, and they weren't getting what they needed. Well, and the way the test came in, every day they'd test the same time, and the results came in every morning. It was, like, around 6 a.m. So, you know, there was, like, a five-day stretch where we'd get the results, no traction, and then it was another 24 hours of just waiting around, wondering, worrying. (laughs) And there were so many doctors that they would take so much blood like all day long that you couldn't take blood from me anymore. They started taking blood out of the top of my hands. They were even talking about taking blood out of the veins of my legs at one point. And finally, the one of the doctors was like, nope, everyone come in, get your blood in the morning. <laughs> and, then, and that's when it turned into a waiting game because they were only allowed to take blood from me in the morning. So you take your blood in the morning, you get your results, and that was it. So every day... We had to wait. Like, my blood had to get at a certain level um, for blood thinners. My kidneys had to get at a certain level for function, or they wouldn't let me go. And that's literally what it was every day. And nobody could figure out why. No one had any idea. There was just no rhyme or reason to it. That was a big reason why I wouldn't leave either, is the waiting alone. The, yeah. The alone waiting, I couldn't have imagined. Ricky stayed the whole time. And the best part about actually staying in the hospital was the ice, all the ice. Yeah, you probably had eight cups of ice a day. (laughs) The crunchy ice. But other than, like, not being able to shower and, you know, I mean, even the little things like having the nurses come in and change the sheets, like, 
that was so fantastic. Just having new sheets every day because I felt so gross. And I was just so large from all of that water. Then having my best friends fly in and surprise me on day nine. You know, like I thought I was going to have to be at the hospital all weekend because they told us again that none of my numbers were improving, but they had just given up me that diuretic that day. And I really think that's what jump started everything yeah. was just getting it all back together. So the next day I got out of the hospital and I was like, yo, my best friends came and my body was like, thank you, sweet baby Jesus. And also I really feel like when we had kind of talked about it, you know, we had mentioned what was going on on Facebook because people are like, so how's the baby, blah, blah, blah. I started getting all these messages and uh, calls and, you know, people saying like our whole church was praying for you and uh, people I didn't even know, you know, because I was on the radio here in Minnesota and I know that they were talking about it at the my old radio station on the morning show and you know, another woman was like, oh, I heard what was going on with you and I'm praying for you and my whole church is praying for you. And I didn't even know this woman. And like, I felt the energy and I felt the love and I felt, I felt it that I 1000% believe that like, whether you believe in the power of prayer or the energy vibes or changing you know, the secret where you change your thought pattern or the the energy of what's around. I don't even remember how what the technical words are of it, whatever. But you're changing your energy vibrations to... But I feel like that is why I didn't end up dying. That all of a sudden I just... The clot never broke off. It just went away. I didn't even have to be on blood thinners that long. I think I was on blood thinners out of the hospital for two weeks and then we had that car accident and I ended up having to get a CT scan and I was like by the way is there a blood clot there and they're like nope and I'm like great and it was just gone and then my kidneys just rebounded like and I felt it you know like I feel like I'm really sensitive to other people's energies anyway that I just felt that love and I felt that prayer and I felt that positivity and those healing vibes and Pretty, I feel like that's what saved me. I'm pretty thankful. One thing we didn't talk about was just if your kidneys don't fail and your hemoglobin's not low, they don't find the blood clot, you know? Yeah. So, like, there was a bunch of chaotic things that happened, and it felt like the whole universe and, like, just luck wasn't on our side. But then coming out of it, you know, you think of things like, well, if these two serious complications don't happen, they don't find that blood clot and, you know... Oh, yeah. If I would have just went home because, you know, like the doctor was telling me, he's like, you know, we don't give women who have babies CT scans. We don't know if you have blood clots when you go home. But everything had happened in such a perfect storm for you, you know, for a lack of better words. You know, like had they just sent me home, I would not be here. Thank God my kidneys were failing. And, you know, I were... 10 years younger and this exact same thing happened again i would totally do it again <laughs> and i know that people are like eh, you forget all about that stuff you have babies and then it's so rewarding and so awesome that you have this little human running around that you forget all about all of that stuff it's interesting because if you were 10 years younger i don't know after seeing all that happen to you i don't know if i would ever want you to birth another child like you don't think you would go through that again well i mean yeah but 
selfishly, everything emotionally I would go through doesn't compare to everything you would have to go through emotionally and physically. And truthfully, you know, the idea of potentially losing you just to have a second kid, I don't know. I mean, before I met you, I always thought I wanted four or five kids, and now we have one healthy, happy little girl, and you change the way you think. Life kind of comes into perspective. I feel like I'm at a point in my life now after having went through that with you and, you know, Amriel being so healthy, you realize, I mean, it really puts into perspective what matters. And I'm not saying we wouldn't, you know, if you were eight, nine, 10 years younger, I'd be like, no, we're not having another kid, but I'd probably be more reserved and hesitant than you. Cause that was, I'd say probably a pretty guilt filled process for me. Like I carried through that. And even after it, a good amount of guilt, I just never really liked to share it. Cause I didn't spend nine days on a hospital bed wondering if I was going to die. Well, guilt about what? Guilt because I knew you had all those premonitions. Like, I knew those were your fears. And, I mean, we were not married at the time, and we probably weren't as careful as we should have been and got pregnant. Well, definitely not on 4th of July. Yeah. So, I mean, not guilt direct. It's it just, like, the whole thing. Like, you know, it's life, and it's life happens, and we're pregnant, but it's still this level of guilt. Like, man, if we would have just been a little more careful and... You know, I felt like I knew those were your concerns, and if something had happened to you, I feel like I would have shouldered 100% of that. So, I don't, I don't know. It's Fortunately, we don't have to think too much about it, because you're both here and healthy and happy, and, you know, things are good, but... Did you ever think you were going to have to go home with a baby and a GoFundMe? No, I didn't. Once everything was identified, we knew what the problem was and what needed to be done to be fixed, and you got in blood thinner medication. I was more concerned with the whole blood transfusion and why your kidneys weren't normalizing opposed to the blood clot. Cause at that point you were on thinners. I was just, uh, having a hard time with how much, how hard of a time you were having. I was, I was pretty scared. I was pretty emotional. Like there was quite a few times I would have to just step out and take a walk and for 20 seconds, try to just kind of escape and like, you know, get it together and, you know, not show too much emotion. Not that that's a bad thing. Not that being emotional is bad, but in that moment, I just felt like if you saw, you know, fear and weakness, I guess, it's probably not a great word, but in me that it would just bring your fears more to light. You know, you were pretty adamant that you weren't making it out of there. So if I showed any sign of thinking the same thing, which I didn't, my fear could have been misconstrued to, to think that, then that I just wouldn't have thought that that would have been fair to you. So that well, was... Well, you showed emotion, like... Every time I had a breakdown, you were there. Like, you picked me up. You were my cheerleader. You told me it was going to be okay. You never... Yeah, I wasn't emotional. You didn't cry with me. You didn't... You know what I mean? You weren't... You definitely were, like, held it together when I was not. The things that you thank me for, like, not going home or sleeping on a chair for nine days, like, to me, that was... What's the other option? Because there isn't one. Going home was never an option. I think for me, it was just a matter of kind of, I guess what you said is I wasn't emotionless. I just tried not to wear fear and sadness out in the open just because, I don't know, at least in that moment, it, it I didn't think it would have been good. So I think overall, I was pretty confident once we got the blood clot medication in you, we'd be okay. There was just so much uncertainty. Once we got to the second hop- hospital, it was almost kind of like a board game where everyone's trying to figure out like what's the issue like mm-hmm. why can't we fix this after we got out of the first hospital you got the medication you needed for me it was less of fear of death and more of just like concern and wondering on like why isn't the issue being solved looking back the only thing i think i would have done different was just had nilly with us more at the time my focus was just trying to get better so i could be her mom but i just wish that 
I just would have had her with us more. You know, like one doctor would come in and be like, this is not the place for a newborn. Another doctor would be like, where's your baby? And my mom stayed with her and your mom stayed with her. I just I was just trying to keep her safe. And I was trying not to be selfish because I just really wanted her with me. And I just didn't know what the right thing to do was. But now looking back on it, if I could make any change in the whole world, you know, and she was there a lot. I mean, it's not like she was not there. You know, like she was there a lot. I think there was one day that she didn't come because there was a snowstorm and my parents, you know, don't know how to drive in snow and I didn't want the baby to come. And she went to her first doctor's appointment without me. And that sucked. It really does put into perspective just how amazing medicine is and healthcare workers and the human body and a woman's like just will. Uh, Giving birth is easily the most incredible thing I've ever watched. I think then you, you go home and you share that bond and it's not just something you watched. It's with your wife and your daughter. So I encourage every man to watch his child be born (laughs) you can go south it is safe 10 times out of 10 like it just i i think it connects you with your kid and your wife more it was a pretty scary ordeal you know it gives me anxiety kind of thinking about it just because it was pretty serious there for a while but and now we got a baby nil the nil the nil she prefers the nil well thanks yeah thanks for having me uh (laughs) am i gonna be a weekly guest or is this a one-time thing one time thing just like our kid the audition didn't go well i see (laughs) you're a great guest and a great dad and husband thanks you're a great host and a great wife and a great mother oh now everyone's puking okay thanks for listening bye Bye. To be your best every day, you need proven quality sleep every night. Science proves your best sleep is vital to your mental, emotional, and physical health. And that's where the Sleep Number Bed comes in. And let me tell you, ever since I've had it, my Sleep IQ score is just going higher and higher. And did you know 8 out of 10 couples say that one of them sleeps too hot or too cold? Science tells us regulating your sleep temperature leads to higher quality sleep. For many couples, temperature struggles are a real challenge. So here are some tips to help you both sleep just right. Look for beds designed with temperature benefits such as the new Sleep Number Climate 360 Smart Bed that actively warms and cools each side so you both sleep blissfully comfortable. And now save 40% on the Sleep Number 360 Special Edition Smart Bed. Plus special financing for a limited time. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com slash podcast one. Sleep Number, the official sleep and wellness partner of the National Football League. Subject to credit approval, minimum monthly payments required. See sleepnumber.com for details.